Hello and welcome to section one, episode 29 of the LUFC Fan Zone podcast. I'm Sam Isles. And I'm Jack Ellis. And each episode, we'll be talking to an ex Leeds United player or manager about their time at the club. Last episode was the second section of our show with former Leeds United striker and Northern Ireland striker David Healy. And in last week's episode, we were speaking with David about Leeds' relegation from the Championship into League One for the first time in the club's history. The game which all but secured Leeds' relegation was against Ipswich Town at Ellen Road. And although David had never been the captain of Leeds before that game, he was given the armband for that match, which he was explaining in that episode was quite a surreal experience for him, wasn't it, Jack? Yeah, he was actually given the armband because of some unrest in the changing room. So the manager at the time, Dennis Wise, made him captain for that game. And before that, he had never been captain. And he was talking about how surreal it felt for him to be captain in such a meaningful game that went down in Leeds history, albeit for the wrong reasons. And that game against Ipswich was his last game for Leeds. And the club knew that he was the most valuable asset and knew that he was going to be sold. So they didn't want him to get injured for that final game of the season at Derby. Yeah, and of course at that time, like you mentioned, he didn't play at Derby because Leeds didn't want him to get injured and ruin a potential sale following relegation, which for him turned out to be a £1.5 million move to Fulham in the Premier League. But that money was vital for Leeds at that time because, of course, at the end of that 2006-07 season, Leeds went into administration and effectively that £1.5 million from the sale of David Healy helped Leeds to survive. Well, yeah, David knew himself that he was the most valuable player at the time and understood why he didn't play against Derby. But when he joined the club, he didn't really know how bad the financial situation was and how badly it was going to escalate during his time at the club. And Leeds were in huge debt and went into administration for the first time at the end of the 2006-07 season and got a 10-point deduction, which saw Leeds finish bottom of the championship and then Another administration followed for the second time and just a couple months later, just before the League One season had even started, which saw another 15 points deducted. But for all we know, the situation could have been even worse if Leeds didn't cash in on David at that particular time. Yeah, of course. And if you haven't had the chance to listen to that episode with David Healy, or if you've missed any of our other shows, they're all available on Spotify, YouTube and Apple Podcast. Simply by searching the LUFC Fan Zone Podcast. Just before we go into today's show, Today's episode is sponsored by the Mystery Football Kit Co. So the guys over at Mystery Football Kit Co have reached out to us and happily agreed to sponsor the podcast and support us as a small business ourselves. They are Leeds fans and what they are offering is a Mystery Football Kit Box. And if you're not sure what a Mystery Football Kit Box is, it's the opportunity to get your hands on a shirt you might not have got before. It's from any team, from any time, including this season as well, all over the globe. All you have to do is select your size on their website as well as any kits or colours you don't want to feature in your mystery box. So obviously you'll be selecting no red kits in that category straight away. And your very own mystery shirt will arrive on your doorstep and you won't know what kit you've received until you open up. All of their shirts are hand-picked to each order and every item is of high quality and I must emphasise as well genuine brand new football shirt from either this year or any previous year from any club around the world. And because of our partnership, as well as the fact that we like to look out for our listeners, if you enter the code LUFCFANZONE at checkout, you'll receive 10% off your order. So make sure you head over to Mystery Football Kit Co on Instagram or www.mysteryfootballkitco.com to check them out. And make sure you add the discount code LUFCFANZONE at checkout. But on to today's show, and this week is the one-year anniversary of the launch of the LUFC Fanzone podcast. 
And one year since our very first show, we saw Bamba. In that year, we've had the chance to speak with some amazing guests and some incredible former Leeds United players. However, today's guest is someone who can only be described as Leeds United royalty. Today's guest was the manager of Leeds United for 400 games between October 1988 and September 1996 before departing to become the manager of the England national team. During his time at Leeds, he not only helped the side win Division 2 title in the 1989-90 season, but just two seasons later, Leeds won the first division title under his tenure and still to this day, 30 years later, remains the most recent English manager to win the top division of English football. His managerial style at Leeds earned him the nickname of Sergeant Wilco for his strict discipline and he still remains one of the greatest managers Leeds United have ever had. That's right, this week we're absolutely delighted to be joined by former Leeds United manager Howard Wilkinson. Howard, thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure. Always, always glad and happy to speak to true Leeds supporters. And it's been over 30 years now, Howard, since you took over at Leeds. And I'm not sure if you're aware, but yesterday it was exactly 31 years to the day when Leeds won the Division 2 title at Bournemouth. So obviously that's something we'll move on to in a bit. However, your last job in management was in 2004 in Shanghai in China. So you've been out of management for 17 years now. And yeah. because of that, what have you been up to in the last few years? Because obviously you haven't had a team to manage. So have you been doing any sort of coaching or even taking up any new sports? Or have you decided it's just time to have a break? Uh, no. Um, <clears throat> uh, f- starting in 1992, when we formed the League Managers Association, uh, myself, Graham Taylor, and a couple of people who were running it with us, for us, uh, so that, as it were, being chairman of that, started to fill part of my time because we were we were trying to build our association up. And on top of that, I was doing quite a lot of uh, coach education for UEFA and also part of a number of UEFA projects which were designed to improve the standard of coach education across Europe. Uh, which at that time, uh, in some countries, was nearly zero. Uh, and we were trying to also make sure that there was some standardization across all the countries in Europe with regard to qualifications, which were becoming, and rightly so, increasingly important in terms of the production of coaches and future managers. So in that respect, uh, I suppose... Just to give you two broad headings, it would be welfare in terms of the League Managers Association and what we were trying to do for our members. And on the other hand, coach education with regard to better standards of coach education across Europe for UEFA. Yeah, and obviously today's show is all about your time at Leeds. And like I mentioned earlier, you arrived at Leeds 33 years ago in October 1988 to be exact from Sheffield Wednesday, of course. But can you remember when you were first approached by Leeds and the chairman at the time, Leslie Silver, about the possibility of becoming Leeds United manager and how you felt about making the switch from Sheffield Wednesday to Leeds? I was at Sheffield Wednesday um, and we were doing quite well in the first division, having got promoted after my first season with them. Uh, And Leeds came on via the reporter and uh, expressed 
the desire on behalf of Lee's to speak to me. And I, I basically said, you've got to be joking. I mean, why would I want to go from fifth top of the of the first division to bot, next bottom of the second division? Anyway, subsequent to that, I got a call from Leslie Silver, and then I got a call from Bill Follaby, and then another call from Bill Follaby, and so on and so forth, until after about three or four weeks, I said, okay, okay, I'll come and meet you. Um, first meeting with uh, Bill Fotherby and Les Leslie was uh, amicable, but, you know, thank you very much again. Uh, but obviously, I I'd, I'd rather stay where I am. Um, anyway, they persisted and persisted. And there are a number of meetings between myself and phone calls between myself and Leslie in particular. And then on the last occasion, when I went to see Leslie, we spent a long, long time together. And at the end of that, we, he and I, uh, and to a degree Bill Fotherby, had, as it were, mapped out a hypothetical plan for Leeds United to one, get promoted, to two, win the first division, to three, do well in Europe, four, to develop what are now called academies, but what I then had as an idea for youth development, whereby uh, we had a link with a school, we built the new training ground, we built, uh, if you like, a hall of residence, and we had boys coming to us at uh, 14, 15, 16, because we had a, a partnership with the local school. So we were, if you like, a public school, but a public school for footballers. Uh, and we, I, 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 as it were, said to them, if we go with this plan, then that part of it, that youth development part of it, will not pay dividends for possibly another five or six or seven years. Um, and it started to pay dividends uh, around the time of we won the Youth Cup final against Manchester United, but there were a group under that, uh, the Woodgates and the Smiths, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, Gary Speed and, and David Batty were already there, but a bit older. Um, so there was, as it were, a team developing within a team that then that team was going to win the European Cup. Uh, is it a dream? Well, it, it was a dream, but it was a dream based on a, on a very, very sound plan. And that sound plan worked um, until about six months before I left. When it was still working, uh, but then takeovers started to get discussed and so on and so forth, uh, which culminated in me receiving a call from a, a, a manager who was a friend saying, did I know that George Graham had got the job at Leeds United, which was a bit of a shock to me because I was still manager. So it was, it was an intervention that, if you like, uh, smashed that plan, which was about two years from, two, three years from fruition. Because if you look at the team that played in the semi-final of the uh, Champions League later, 
most of that lot were products of the uh, academy or uh, as it was called center of excellence then so it was a it was the first time that possibly the first time that someone in management had sat down with somebody who was keen enough and interested enough and knowledgeable enough to buy into the notion that football didn't necessarily have to be in how it had been, had been, that you could plan, you could build for the future. Um, and Leslie, who'd started mixing paint in his garage when he came out of the RAF out of the war, um, had the foresight and the intelligence to recognise that and to buy into that and to want to be part of that. Um, and to be fair, he was part of it, as will Bill Fotherby, uh, for quite some time, Peter Gilmer as well, uh, until, as I say, the intervention came from Caspian um, at a time when there was a move towards clubs being seen as uh, valuable assets um, and turning themselves into limited companies. Um, so that was the story of it, really. Uh, fate intervened uh, at a moment when uh, we were actually on the cusp of moving into that final phase. And when you did arrive at Leeds, as you said, the side you inherited were in Division 2 at the time. However, you arrived in October, which was three months into the season. And by that time, Leeds have won just one game and were sitting in 21st position and just only out of the relegation zone on goal difference. And because of that, what attracted you to becoming manager of Leeds and how did you personally feel that you could have improved that side at the time and turned the season around? Um, well, I've just explained the attraction of, of the big picture. Uh, the micro picture was that... Uh, I'd done my, my work on, on players at Leeds and uh, the ones I thought could come forward with me and the ones uh, I thought might not. Uh, I had no doubts that their, current, their position at that point could be improved. I thought there were sufficient players there of sufficient quality. And I remember, I think the first time I spoke to the players, probably the most important thing was that, that, that was there for them to grasp was I said, look, I've come here. There's a plane on the runway. That plane's going to take off. It's up to you between now and the end of the season, whether you're on that plane or you're not. Um, so we got down to work and I think in my, from my starting we maybe went on to a 15 or 16 game undefeated run. I can't be precise, but it was a long run. Um, which then was the, was if you like, laying the foundations for what was to come because I demonstrated by then to everybody at the club that, that change could be made. Uh, but more importantly, I got them to accept that change needed to be made. And that went throughout the club. So the lady, ladies who worked in the kitchen came in to see me on my second day and asked me uh, what would I like for lunch? And they gave me the menu and it was 
chips and fish and fish and chips and something else. And I politely said to them, look, you know, I need to have a word with you because you're going to be involved in something different. That that diet uh, is not the diet of, of an athlete. And we will be serving food which is fit for athletes and makes athletes fit. Uh, so it, it was just building those that wall brick by brick uh, and making change. And sometimes change is painful. But but it's it's more acceptable if people can see there's a there's a pathway ahead, there's a road that they can be part of that journey. They can see that it's it, that the road's been built, um, and that the destination at the end is very attractive. Uh, so it was just getting people to buy into that. Some people don't. That's fine. Um, you know, it's up to you. There's no, there's no, uh, as it were, in my mind, likes or dislikes. The only, the only thing that matters is, are you and do you want to be part of the journey? And are you willing, where necessary, to accept change? And if you're not, fine, great. If you don't agree with it, terrific. But, but if you are going to stay here, then you need to recognise that that's, that's how it's going to be. And because of them changes, obviously, you earned the nickname of Sergeant Wilco, something which you weren't because of the way you coached the team and because of that discipline. Was that something which you implemented to the squad on the very first day as Leeds United manager? Or was it something which you realised you had to do to get the best out of your players maybe a few <laughs> weeks into your time at Leeds? Well, the Sergeant Wilco thing's a legend that's a myth because I don't believe... It came from that. It, it came from a very popular TV series at the time, which where they exchanged Wilco for Bilco. So there was a, a show on that was hilarious and its main character was Sergeant Bilco. So it was an easy one for the fans to land on. Um, so I became branded with that, though I'm not sure that it exactly fitted who I was. Uh, yeah, um, I believed in coaching. I believe in having a plan. I believe in getting people engaged in that plan, getting them to see where the benefits are for them. I think people like to be uh, on a journey. They, they like to understand what, where they're going. They like to understand how they're going to get there. They like to understand how they might get there sooner. That's individually and collectively. And also, I think it's very, very important that they, they, they learn to understand what real team spirit is. Real team spirit isn't necessarily going out after a victory and getting canned up. Uh, <laughs> that, that real team spirit is much more than that, much deeper than that. It's, it's trust. It's belief. It, it, it's seeing yourself as part of a team. It's... Um, I remember asking a player once, what do you remember about, what do you remember about the time of Leeds? I'd be interested in you writing it down. And he said, one of the things he said, which I hadn't recognised, but because it was behind me, he said, it's the first time I've ever seen a bench where the people on the bench were as animated with regard to the result and the performance as the people on the pitch. 
so the people on the bench did see themselves as part of the team on the pitch rather than spare parts sat on a bench off it. Yeah, and in the first 22 games as Leeds United manager, you only lost two, which was a very impressive start and saw a rise from 21st position. And because of that improvement, in March, you, you began bringing in your own players to the club. The first of which was Gordon Strachan, who joined Leeds from Manchester yeah. United and was someone who played the majority of Manchester United games in their second place finish in Division 1 the previous year. Because of that, how did you manage to entice Gordon to make the move to Leeds? Because not only was he moving from Manchester United to Leeds, who are obviously and still are fierce rivals, but he was dropping down, similar to yourself, from a successful Division 1 side to Leeds, who were struggling in Division 2. Um, well, number one, by then he'd realised uh, that his time at Manchester United was uh, rapidly drawing to a close, uh, that, that, that that's what the manager had, had conveyed to him. Uh, secondly, he was at an age and he was sufficiently intelligent to understand that, that integral to what I wanted to do was the need for leadership. Uh, and leadership's not just about the man at the top. Leadership's when it's when it's best demonstrated is about everybody. It's about everybody being willing to take responsibility for themselves in particular, but for each other as well. Uh, and I persuaded him that in my plan for the future, someone like him could be very integral to, to developing that sort of feeling because he'd always demonstrated everything I wanted to see in players, uh, which is that uh, it, it, it's, you know, there's, there's, no, that there's no I in team, uh, that we is better than me. Uh, and, and he demonstrated that in his football career before that. And as it were, coming to, if you like, the last act of his play, uh, he saw that as a, a, a nice challenge. And one which he accepted and one which he performed very successfully. Strachan joined Leeds for a reported £200,000 and Chris Fairclough followed in the same month for £500,000 from Tottenham. And then Carl Schutt arrived for, in April. And although in today's transfer market, them sums might not seem huge, but in 1989, especially for a Division 2 side, that was obviously a lot of money. But that season, Leeds obviously didn't get promoted to Division 1. But in the following season, as we know, Leeds did gain promotion and won the title. But before that season started, was that the only objective that would have been successful because of the money that was spent and the project that you had for Leeds United? No, 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 because... because... Leslie and the other three direct, the other two directors, were fully conversant with, with if you like, the stages in the plan. That, that, you know, within a plan you have to have, you have to have, is it well, landmarks, and those landmarks have to be clearly identified, uh, so that people, as it were, constantly can can recognise. Hang on a minute, you know. So we've just won five games on the drop. I don't, that's not going to make us champions. Nor is that going to cause us to win the European Cup. That's just part of the process. And that what we've got to see is 
is that there's a bigger picture yeah uh and in that way we've got a better perspective so one example would be uh me setting out uh with their agreement they've got to agree me setting out with their agreement well let's go for six game acts in the play if you like let's look at the first six see where we are then then let's look at the next six uh which is which gives you a, a better able to focus on the next game if you like forget about what's after that yeah you, I, I want you to think just of the next game but i also want you to say well you know this average of 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 one and a half points or whatever per game uh is important and therefore there's no game more important than the next one and yet there's no game less important than the next one all those are just bricks in the wall and if we're going to build a wall we, we you know that's what it's going to be one brick at a time um so it, it's just getting people who can see and buy into that shared responsibility uh, and it being it being very very important with regard to not not just being winners because you can finish in the middle of the league and be winners if you've overachieved at that point so for me winning is a very individual thing it's a very uh, yeah winning the leagues for everybody and winning the leagues for the manager and so on and so forth but but as you're moving along in the bigger picture you know people progress at different rates and and so it's important for, for me to get over to the, to them to the individuals look yes compared yourself with Gordon Strachan who's a great role model but at the same time recognize that you're not him and that your road will be slightly different to his road. Yeah, you'll use all the same things that he uses, like the gear stick and and the brake pedal and so on and so forth. But but your way of getting round the track or getting up the mountain will be slightly different to you because we're all different. And what we've got to recognise is how do we get all those individuals into working as a unit but recognizing that people do have strengths and weaknesses and and we we as individuals have to have to see that uh and have to be generous and, and some people some people have the ability to i mean i think i played gary speed in every position apart from goalkeeper at one stage or another because that was gary he was he he, he you could talk sit that gary down and he he he'd go yeah okay i understand that there's a need for me sometimes it happened in games i'm not saying i picked him there but you know i'd make a substitution and say go play left back or i'd make a substitution and say go play up front or gary move from wide into midfield and so on um so he was typical of that sort of uh if you like multifaceted player that that you need if you can get them but then there are other players who are not like that there are other players who can only as it were drive down that road 
and they drive down that road very, very successfully. And so, so long as you don't ask them to drive down another road, uh, you've got to then fit them in the side if they're making the team better. And other players have to recognise that. So don't ask, don't ask Lee Chapman in, in some change of team during the game or whatever to go and play right back. I mean, that's a daft example, but it, it, there are players who you can say Gary Speed was one. Lucas Redebi was another. You know, and, and there were quite a few in that group like that. Uh, so it's it's the team recognising themselves as individuals, but also recognising that the team's bigger than they are as individuals. And that brings an end to section one of episode 29. Join us next week for section two, where Howard speaks about Leeds' Division One title in 1992 and being crowned the last proper champions of England before the formation of what we now know as the Premier League in 1992, and as well as his departure from the club in 1996. Thanks for listening.